check. Just. <coughs> Friends, let's come to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will unpack your word for us today, not only in head knowledge, but also in, in the ways in which we can apply it in our lives, that we may be led to ways of greater fulfillment and abundance in this life and the life to come. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We participate in uh, the Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, uh, whatever you want to call it, once a month in this church. Uh, most Methodist churches that I go to or have been in, they also do this once a month Holy Communion thing. And so part of this Holy Communion uh, once a month thing is that it's not just for those who come to church, uh, it's also for those who are unable to come to church. So. I remember back in Johor, uh, before I came back here to Penang, I was in Johor, la. I was pastoring two churches. One of the churches uh, was, there was this homebound lady, okay, so I would go to give her communion once a month. Uh, and she was a very interesting lady because she had uh, mild schizophrenia, okay, so every time we go and visit her, we don't know what to expect. Uh, it's a very exciting visit most of the time. And so, uh, from the moment I was introduced to her until the day I left, she knew me as Moksi Jai, uh, which is, what, pastor boy uh, in Cantonese, Moksi Jai, Moksi Jai. And then she carries around this tongkat, uh, this stick, a walking stick. She doesn't use it to walk, she uses it to bang the table <laughs> and to basically scare the people around her in the home uh, that she stayed in. It was a, a nursing home. Lah. And so, uh, it, it, it was a very, every time I go there, I have to like plead with her and cajole her and, and uh, emphasize Jesus is about love. Jesus is about forgiving your enemies. Jesus is about loving one another. And then she will go on about, yeah, yeah, Jesus is about love. Then she will see one random person, you don't look at me that way, I kill you. Dong, dong, dong. <laughs> that kind of thing. So, but one thing that happened is that every time it came for Holy Communion, she changed mode. <laughs> and she would behave, okay? She would become just like any other church member during Holy Communion. Uh, and so when she took, when she took the, the bread and the cup, she was very well behaved, okay? And uh, she would, all, every single time I go there, there's not much to talk about other than the fact that, oh, Moksi Jai is here and Holy Communion, Holy Communion. Okay, so here in Penang Trinity, we don't have such an interesting character so far la, that I have met. Uh, but just last month, I joined Pastor Ronald on the visitation to the homebound. There were about 15 homes uh, to serve Holy Communion to. Uh, many of them were not very lucid, so they are, they are not so sure also what is, or, or rather they don't look like they are consciously aware of what is going on uh, sometimes. But we still give them Holy Communion. We still do this visitation uh, because it is important to them and it's also important to us. Holy Communion is important to us where we remember that Jesus died for us. We regularly remember that Christ sacrificed his life for our sakes. 
And in Holy Communion, we also declare the unity that we have in Jesus Christ, right? When we come before the Lord uh, together, we, we declare the unity that we have as one church body. That's why when we serve Holy Communion to the homebound, we're telling them, even though you are not able to come to church, you are still part of the global church. You are still part of our church. And so today we are looking at the Passover, which is a sort of a legacy edition of the Holy Communion. And for the Jews, for the Israelites, the Passover was even more important than our Holy Communion. The Passover was a foundational aspect of their religious laws. It wasn't just a, you should observe it uh, whenever you gather. It was a, you must. It is foundational. It is one of the bedrock uh, laws that the, their religious life revolves around. And so Jesus himself was celebrating the Passover when he instituted the Lord's Supper for the first time. Okay, that's why I say it's a legacy edition, the Passover. And as the entire Old Testament points forward to the redeeming work of Jesus, the Passover is one major device, okay? Uh, if the entire Bible is all about the redeeming work of Jesus, and the New Testament talks about the redeeming work of Jesus. The Old Testament points forward to that redeeming work of Jesus. The Passover, which was so central to the Israelites' understanding of who God was and uh, how they were to relate to Him, that was a central feature to point forward to the work of Jesus as well. And so we're going to look at the Passover, its roots, its symbolisms, and its effects. I understand that uh, this hasn't been the, the Passover hasn't been preached on in quite some time, correct? Can you remember when's the last time? No? Uh, okay. So, uh, pay attention. And so what we will see, uh, the big idea for the sharing today is that the Passover points towards freedom from slavery and death and towards a new life. Okay? So this is your takeaway for the entire message. If you switch off after here, you remember this at least. Okay? That the Passover points forward to, uh, points towards freedom from slavery and death and towards a new life. So last week we looked at the ending of Joseph's story. Uh, he becomes the second of command in Egypt. He uproots his entire family. They live in the region of Goshen in Egypt, right, to escape the famine. Now we fast forward a few hundred years and now we are in the period of the book of Exodus, okay? And now there is a new pharaoh who has zero affection for the Israelites. He doesn't know, uh, he doesn't really care who they are. They are like, to him, they are just migrants. They are like foreign workers like that, okay? Unwelcome visitors. And so he has forced them into slavery. He was treating them cruelly. And so you enter Moses, who is an Israelite. And he has his own story of being born and then thrown into a river, na na na, all that. Uh, God makes contact with Moses and chooses Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. And so begins a process where Moses tries to convince Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. Uh, and, you know, there's that whole series of increasingly worse plagues upon the Egyptians. Uh, and the Egyptians were affected by these plagues. The Israelites were largely unaffected. And so there were 10 plagues. The last plague uh, is the last straw. God declares that he will slay the firstborn of every person and every animal 
in Egypt. And so today's passage describes the instructions for the Passover meal for the, the Israelites to observe. How do you prepare this meal? What do you do? Now, why did they need to observe this meal and this Passover in the first place? Obvious answer is because if they didn't do this, what would happen? What would happen if they didn't do this? Would life just continue? No, right? The firstborn will die, basically, even among the Israelites. If they didn't obey, they didn't follow the instructions of the Passover and this meal and all that, the firstborn would die. So this is a very important point to note. In the previous nine plagues, where uh, you know, the, the Nile turned to blood, uh, the, the flies come upon the land, got locusts, got frogs, uh, all that, uh, the Israelites were plague, uh, spared from the effects of this plague. They, where they were settled, they didn't have these problems. They didn't have these plagues. Uh, they didn't have to do anything. They were spared just because they were Israelites, okay? because they were different. They were living in a different region. Plagues didn't come upon that region. And what that showed everybody, it showed the Israelites as well as the Egyptians, it showed that they were different from the Egyptians. Something is different. Why they never gana the plague, okay? And only the Egyptians gana the plague. So they knew, hey, something is different. We are a different people for some reason. And that reason is because God was with them, lah, okay, basically. And now the difference here in this 10th plague is that the people are not just saved automatically because of their race because of their blood. Uh, they weren't saved just because they were Israelites and because they live in this region of Goshen. What was different was that God gave instructions for two things. The first was to slaughter a lamb without any defects and to take the blood of the lamb, paint the door frames of the houses that they were in. Okay? Paint blood on the door frame. And secondly, the second instruction, to eat the lamb bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. I'll come to the ceremonial feast in my second point. But first, the, the painting of the door frames with blood. If you look at uh, verse 13 of today's chapter, if God saw the blood painted on the door frames as he instructed, he would pass over that house. He would spare them from the plague of the firstborn. Okay? And what that means is, without the blood that was painted on the door frames, they wouldn't be spared, uh, whether they were Egyptian or Israelite. As long as they did not have this blood over their door frames, this covering of the blood, they would not be spared from this plague. And this is important because it shows us that every firstborn and the firstborn represents the, the headship of the family, the future of every family, every firstborn was headed for death. Now, what made the difference between life and death was the blood of this lamp on the door frames. And so the Passover also uh, kicks off a, a transition for the Israelites. It kicks off the transition from them being slaves in Egypt to being free as God's people. This is the turning point for them. 
there is this transition, slave, slavery, into freedom. The Passover is the turning point. What does this mean for us? We too were all slaves to sin. Because of our slavery to sin, we were all headed towards spiritual death without exception. All of us, every single one of us, we are slaves to sin. We are all headed towards spiritual death. And the only way for us to be delivered from slavery, from sin, and to be spared from that spiritual death, the only way for death to pass over us is to paint the blood of the Passover lamb on the door frames of our hearts. Okay, so this is where, the, this is where it, it ties into the redeeming work of Jesus. It points forward to the redeeming work of Jesus because Jesus himself came to be the Passover lamb. Don't worry, uh, if, sorry if I'm moving a bit fast and you cannot fill in the blanks in time, copy from your neighbor, you don't have after service come and get from me, no problem, okay? Don't worry about it so much. It's just to make sure you're paying attention. Okay, so Jesus came to be the Passover lamb. He came to be this, this sacrifice where if his blood was painted over your hearts or over your lives, you were saved from death. When the Israelites slaughtered the lamb, painted the door frames in blood, they were performing an act of faith. It wasn't some magic ritual, some bomo thing that they were doing. It was an act of faith because God gave them instructions. They obeyed those instructions, an act of faith. If they didn't believe that God would kill all the firstborn in Egypt, or if they didn't believe that following God's instructions would save them, they wouldn't do it, right? Why go through the trouble of doing this weird painting thing that we haven't done before? And so they believed. They believed that it would save them. They believed that God's word would really come true. And so if in the same way, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the fact that he died on the cross on Good Friday is not enough for us to escape death. The fact that Jesus died on the cross is not enough for us to escape death. We need to place our faith in him. Jesus died for the whole world, yes, but not everyone is saved. Those who put their faith in him and believe in Him, and Him alone, are saved. And so, only faith in Jesus is what saves us from sin and death. Not our good deeds, not our religious works that we do, not our religious works that we don't do. Only faith in Jesus. And so the Passover was necessary for salvation from slavery and death. And Jesus is necessary for salvation from slavery to sin, and death. Now, we look at the symbolism of the Passover. When I was studying today's text, I, I found the Passover meal to be very rich with symbolism. And uh, I wanted to quickly go through some of the main symbolisms of the Passover meal and what they can mean for us as Christians. So let's go through these uh, three major components involved in the Passover meal. Firstly, the lamb. Okay, the, the, the lamb chop, the roast lamb, whatever you want to call it. Uh, this lamb was supposed to be big enough for the household. Uh, and what that means is, if it was too much, 
if the lamb was too big and then the family size is too small, they were actually supposed to share it with another family, okay, who, who didn't have enough lamb to go around. And so this made sure that even the larger families that didn't have access to as much lamb was able to get some from their neighbors. And so this symbolizes for us the equalizing effect of salvation and being God's people. That God's salvation is shared across, abroad for God's people. It's not a case of whether you are born in a certain family or you're born in a certain church or a certain church tradition, uh, then you are, you, you are more saved or that sort of thing. One of the largest themes in the, old, sorry, in the New Testament is how God shows no favoritism when it comes to salvation. Doesn't matter what class, what race, what sect, uh, rich or poor, whatever you did in the past, whatever your history, God accepted the people, uh, his people into his family as soon as they believed in Jesus. They would go on to share the same spiritual benefits. So everybody is on an equal spiritual playing field. We, we do not have greater spiritual credit or debit than others when we come before Christ for the first time. And so similarly, there are no second-class Christians. There is no pedigree for uh, attending a certain church for how long. Uh, I, I, in many churches that I go to, there are a lot of aunties and uncles who like to come up to me and tell me, you know, you know, I've been in the Methodist Church since I was a child back in Cebu uh, from this year, this year, this year. Nothing wrong, huh? nothing wrong with being a Methodist and being proud of your Methodist heritage. But that doesn't give us a, a certain uh, spiritual pedigree. Uh, and also, the equalizing effect of salvation is that pastors and bishops and other religious officials don't have greater access to God than any other Christian. I must say this at every church I go to because I always hear, Pastor, you're a pastor. You've got greater access to God. You're closer to... Somehow God will listen to you more. No, 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 no. I am a fellow Christian brother uh, just like any of you. My prayer is not more powerful than you. If you are a more righteous person than me, your prayer is more powerful. Okay? So there are no second-class Christians. We are in an equal spiritual playing field. We are all sinners saved by grace to live as saints. Okay? Now, one more thing about this lamb is that uh, it had to be without blemish. And Jesus, as the lamb of God, was without blemish, sinless and worthy to be sacrificed. Sorry. Uh, I didn't press this earlier. Okay, so there is an equally, uh, equalizing effect of salvation and being God's people. And so Jesus, uh, blameless, sinless, uh, also a worthy sacrifice for us. Second component to look at are the bitter herbs. And this was to remind the people of their bitter life of slavery in Egypt. And this was something that they, they eventually would forget. Okay, after they came out of Egypt, they wandered around the wilderness, eventually they forgot how bitter their life was in Egypt. Uh, once, once they left, they kept complaining. 
they kept, <laughs> even from the moment they, they uh, before they crossed the Red Sea already, they started complaining, you brought us out here so we can die, they, uh, they, they told Moses. Okay, so they kept complaining, they kept wanting to return. Okay, it wasn't just that they wanted to go somewhere else. They wanted to go back to Egypt because they looked back Egypt with nostalgia goggles. Okay, they saw Egypt, ah, last time, ah, ah so nice. Uh, they actually said, uh, we will sit around pots of meat. Uh, they would have uh, free fish and cucumbers. There, there were melons and leeks and onions and garlic, like feasts like that. Actually, what they're remembering is what they were serving their Egyptian masters, la, not themselves. And so they, they were actually being treated so horribly that they cried out to the Lord for salvation. Of course, they didn't have all the food that they wanted to eat, right? That was not the case for them. And so when they ate these bitter herbs, it was supposed to remind them of the bitterness of life in Egypt, what it was really like, not their nostalgia dream. And that when they remember how bitter it was, they wouldn't be tempted to return. They wouldn't want to go back. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, if you've been a Christian for maybe more than two years, three years, four years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, you may forget what life was like before Jesus. But I would say that it is important to remember what your life was like before Jesus. Now, I say this even to those who are born into families where the parents are Christian. You know, you grew up in Sunday school, that sort of thing. Uh, you, you may say, okay, I was born Christian and then I was confirmed, I'm still Christian. But there is still a point in your life, whether you can consciously realize it or not, where you stopped living for yourself and you really gave yourself over to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Master. Okay? So it is important to remember what was life like before I really gave my life over to Jesus Christ. Why? Because that time when we lived for ourselves, that time when life didn't have true meaning or purpose, that time when we feared death and what would happen after death, that was a time where we didn't know Jesus, we didn't know God. And oftentimes it's useful in our testimony to share with others, to share to uh, one, one of the key features of evangelism is always your own personal testimony, how you were like that, what did God do, what are you like after that, right? And so, just like the Israelites, we sometimes look back at our old life with longing, and we look back with nostalgia goggles, and so we look back at, ah, last time, ah, don't have to worry about can do what, cannot do what. Uh. Last time, uh, uh, I was addicted to something, didn't feel so bad about it, you know. Or, or last time, I was only interested in my own interest, everything I do only to untung myself. Uh. I only watch out for myself, don't have to worry about anybody else, don't have to worry about church, don't have to worry about roster and duty and all that. Ah, so nice. We are tempted to look back at our previous life through these nostalgia goggles. And so if we don't remember how bitter life was 
without Jesus, when we don't remember how hopeless and how aimless and how superficial, shallow, that life was without God, then when our faith is challenged, when something happens, we might be tempted to return to some of those old ways. Or maybe even completely abandon our faith, run away from God because life was simpler. So it's important that we do remember this bitterness last time. We don't dwell on it. We don't regret, regret, regret. But we remember. Third main component of the Passover is the bread made without yeast. And the reason for this, the reason, uh, one of the reasons uh, for this bread made without yeast, other than the symbolism of the yeast being the, uh, the, the stuff that infects you around and that sort of thing, is that there was no time for the bread to rise. Okay? They had to eat with their cloak tucked into their belt and sandals on their feet and stuff in their hand. Uh, not a normal posture or normal wardrobe that you would have when you're eating a meal. Okay? And so basically, they were eating as though they're going to rush out the door. Okay? So in our modern context, is eating with fully dressed, with your hair done, uh, with your, your socks and shoes on, and your khaki in your hand. Okay? And then you're eating with the other hand. Okay? So that sort of, uh, that sort of readiness to go. And so this symbolized a posture of readiness to follow God without lingering attachment for the current setting. That they were ready to follow God immediately and not just linger, linger, mm, let me see if I've forgotten anything, uh, let me see if this one important, that one important. No, they were ready to just drop and go. In the same way, our Christian life should be lived with that same posture of being ready to head in whatever direction that God calls us without lingering attachments to this world. The more encumbered we are with things in this world, the harder it is for us to follow God in whatever direction that He calls. Uh, doesn't mean that we are irresponsible parents okay, or that we are irresponsible spouses or that sort of thing. Uh, yes, we have responsibilities in this life, but they should not become so huge that they prevent us from following God. Instead of these things, good things like our family or our jobs or our friends, holding us back from following God, instead we should be following, get, uh, following God and trying to see how we can bring these things along into our walk with God. The point is, an attitude of readiness to follow God, a non-attachment to our current situation in the world. Lent is around the corner, a time when we give up something. Uh, and my recommendation, if you can think of something where you just cannot imagine life without that thing, uh, you say, wow, without chakwetel every day I die. Or, like my mom, uh, without coffee every day I die. I'm, I'm recommending that she would fast from coffee during Lent. Uh, or for me, last time, there was one period where I fasted from coke light. Oh, so sad. But if there is something in your life where you say, I cannot do without this, I recommend try fasting from it. 
you don't fast from air, la. <laughs> don't fast from your loved ones, la. okay? Uh, but things that you can do without, okay? Now, we've looked at those components of the Passover and what they mean. Now, let's look at the effects of the Passover. What are some of the effects of the Passover? One of the effects was God's judgment on the gods of Egypt. Jam a bit. Okay, never mind. If you look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 12. Sorry. Uh, Okay, you, you take the time to turn to Exodus chapter 12 first. Hmm, okay. Sorry about that. Exodus chapter 12, verse 12. It says, On that same night, God, God is saying, huh? On that same night, I will pass through Egypt, and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Okay? And so one of the effects of the Passover was that this was bringing God's judgment on the gods of Egypt. Now, if you did a study on the, the ten plagues that God brought upon Egypt, you would find that each plague uh, was God's declaration of victory over each of the major gods of Egypt. So, for example, plague of swarms uh, likely was in uh, a judgment against the Egyptian fly god Wachit. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it properly, uh, or Keper, the scarab beetle god. Uh, or the, the plague of frogs was a judgment against Hechet, the frog god. Okay. Uh, or the ninth, the ninth plague that brought darkness was a judgment against Ra, the sun god. Okay, and so uh, scholars differ on which god, which plague, lah, but basically uh, they were, these plagues were a declaration to the people of Egypt and also to the Israelites that God is greater than any of those gods. Okay, and so the last plague was probably against the, the goddess Isis who was considered the, the protector of children also against Pharaoh himself, who was considered a god, uh, because even his firstborn would have inherited the throne, and his firstborn also died. And so, overall, what is clear, although you don't know, it's not so clear which god and which plague, lah, but what is clear is that the gods of Egypt were completely powerless, they were completely, mis totally no match for the one true god, who was the god of the Israelites. And so the final plague against the, the firstborn, which triggered the need for the Passover, was God's final judgment against the gods of Egypt to show the Egyptians and the, the Israelites which God was really in charge. Okay, so the effect was that God is more powerful than the gods of their world. 
And so for us, when we remember the, the, the Passover and the Lord's Supper, we are remembering that our God is greater than the gods of this world, whether they are actual uh, religious gods or the gods that we make in our own lives, the things that we cannot live without, or the superstitions, or even the devil or, or spiritual forces that we may fear. God is greater than all those things. Another effect of the Passover was new life for the Israelites. Earlier we said that the Passover is like the turning point uh, from slavery into freedom. And so the Passover is more than just a protective charm. It is a trigger, it is a, a catalyst, this turning point for the entire nation of Israel. Before the Passover, they weren't really a nation. Uh, at, at least until they reached the land of Canaan, they weren't a nation, they were a people, okay, with no land yet. And so after the events of the Passover, they were finally allowed to leave Egypt, their land of slavery. And so we see that the Passover sparked off their journey to their true home, to the land of Canaan. Now notice that this was when the Jewish calendar pretty much started, according to verse 2. The first month began of the, the Jewish religious calendar. This is the mark of new life for them, okay? The first month. Now on top of that, notice that when they were delivered from Egypt, they didn't straight away end up in the promised land. They didn't, uh, from Egypt, straight to Canaan. Uh, it wasn't that easy. They went through a period of transition. They went through a period of testing. This period tested and showed them that their, what their faith was like in their God. Okay, so this wilderness time of going around and around and around and around, it tested their faith. It showed them actually they weren't really trusting in this God that they said they, they were worshipping. And so their wanderings in the wilderness required them to adapt to a new life of depending on God to provide and to protect. And they struggled so much with that. They struggled with the whole idea of God move, you move. Uh, you got nothing, God provide. They struggled so much with that. And they kept wanting to do their own insurance in that sense. And so the effect of the Passover, this new beginning, points forward to what was made possible by the blood of Jesus. Because when we put our faith in Jesus and we accept his sacrifice for us, the very first time, it is a new life for us. When we become Christians, we are not just, we, we don't just have a protective charm of, oh, now I have a Jesus protection on top of my entire normal life. And so I continue to live that same life except that now I got Jesus' protection. No, it is an entirely new life. That's why Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. If your, so for example, if your life was a house, okay, imagine that your life is a house. Being a Christian is not just renovating your house. It's not just adding a new wing to your house, a new wing of this is what I do on Sunday. Okay, uh, it's not just Painting the house a different color. Uh, last time I used to call myself Buddhist, now I call myself Christian. It is 
knocking the whole house down or moving out of that old house into an entirely new house, new rooms, new architecture, new furniture, new purpose, new house. And so the blood of Jesus begins us on a new journey. But just like the Israelites, we are not at the promised land yet. This world that we live in is temporary, and that's why we shouldn't hold on too tightly to what is in this world. Uh, a good indicator, if you are ever wondering uh, where your faith is, uh, a good indicator of where your faith currently is, is how readily you can face the subject, how readily you can talk about the subject of your own death without going choi, 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 choi. <laughs> Whether you're able to tell people, you know, after I die, uh, uh, I want to make sure that you know, my family is taken care of. Uh, when I die, please don't spend so much money on my funeral and go into debt, that kind of thing. Uh, but just being able to face the thought of your own death and what happens after. If you cannot do that and you, everything, the moment, death, uh, my death, uh, don't talk, don't talk, don't talk, uh, your faith still has a bit more to grow. Lah. Okay? Because our home is not this world. Our home is not this world. We belong to where Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. That is our true home. And like Israelites, the journey is still important. It's a place to grow our faith. It's a place to learn how to relate to God, how to depend on Him. But ultimately, this earthly life is not where we belong. In conclusion, Know that the Passover is about remembering how God delivers from slavery and death and how he brings new life. That's what the Passover is about for the Jews. Uh, for us, it is still about remembering. So when you think and talk about the Passover, remember how God delivered from slavery and death, how he brings new life. Believe that Jesus has paid the price for our lives in full. So Jesus is the Passover lamb. He has sacrificed his life for us so that we can be delivered from slavery and death. We can have new life. He has paid that price in full. We don't need to do something extra in order to you know, be delivered from slavery and death and have a new life. Jesus has done all that. We just need to believe in him. What can we do? Remember, be thankful. Remember the bitterness of life before Jesus. Remember what God has done for you. Be thankful. We don't observe the Passover. Uh, some of us may have gone through the Seder meal, which is like the modern reenactment of the Passover, so we can experience it, so we can understand it. But most of us haven't gone through that. We do, however, celebrate Holy Communion once a month. And when we do that, many of the Passover symbolisms come true. And so I invite you, friends, the next time you come before the Lord's table, remember, remember these things. Be thankful. Let us pray.
Father, we remember. We remember that we were not always living a life of freedom. We remember that we had an old life. Lord, we pray that as we live our lives in faith, we would not forget. Remind us when we are tempted to forget. For those of us who struggle to remember a life before you, Lord, I pray that you would lead us into newer life, life that is indeed free of slavery to sin and death, life that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, life that is walked every step in accordance to your will and your ways, life that is lived for you and not for ourselves. I pray, Father, that the symbolism of the Passover would be one that is rich for our remembering. Thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice of Jesus. Thank you that he was our Passover lamb. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.